Thank you. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship. If you have your Bibles, we'll be uh, open to Acts chapter 15, and uh, we'll be looking at the third part, the end of the uh, Jerusalem, the council at Jerusalem. Our senior pastor, Gary, is away this week on uh, vacation. Uh, he might be here somewhere, but uh, uh, you who are joining us on the stream, we really do uh, welcome you, welcome you as well. This is the third part of the the Jerusalem Council, and we really want to understand now the delivery of the message. Because what's happened is they have reasoned together, walked through the, the conflict. There was a conflict in Antioch where some legalists had come in and they had said to the, the Gentile believers, and I want you to feel the racial tensions a little bit this morning, They'd said to those uh, Gentiles, listen, if for, before you come to Jesus by faith, you're going to have to convert to Judaism. You're going to have to be a Jew first. So once you keep the Old Testament law, especially the ceremonial law, to our satisfaction, well then you can continue on and be a, a true Christian. Well, That's seen in verse 1, Acts 15, 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Jump down to verse 5. Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and in order uh, to order them to keep the law of Moses. So we see the conflict there, the tension. The Jews who have been uh, observing if you will, the Old Testament law, they are uh, em- encouraged, embraced, enhanced by the work of Christ, but the, the Jewish or the Gentile counterparts, before they can experience the grace of Jesus Christ that has come from his death and burial and resurrection, well, they're going to have to keep the Old Testament law. Can I just say this from the onset? This is not actually an Old Testament versus New Testament problem. It's not as if people in the Old Testament are like, yeah, we've got to keep the law to get saved. Nobody in the Old Testament thought that the law could save you. That's not at all what happened from the beginning. Genesis 3.15, I will provide one who will take away the sin of the world. Adam believes. Genesis chapter 15, uh, Abraham believes God, verse 6, Genesis 15.6, Abraham believes God and it is credited to him as righteousness and he believed that God would send a Messiah, a king. And so it's not as if the Old Testament saints really thought the law was the thing that was going to make us right in God's sight. That's not never the case. So the issue is not Old Testament versus New Testament in this council. The issue is a small group of people who are trying to control others by using Old Testament law to force them to do certain behaviors. So that's the issue. So that's crucial to understand because I I don't want us to think about the Old Testament law as if it's something bad. The Old Testament law is the grounds from which we have the promises. We have certainly the ceremonies of the temple. We have all of these very important and right and good things to help us anticipate the Messiah who would come. 
And so Jesus, when he comes, he doesn't say the law is old, the law is bad, the law. He says, I've come to fulfill the law and all that it promised, and that's exactly what he did. And so here now the church is 15 years old, and as a 15-year-old church, they're saying now that Christ is risen from the dead, how do we relate to the Old Testament law? All right? So that's the background, and we're going to read Acts 15, 22, down through 35. As we begin. Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders and to the whole church to choose men from among them to send them to Antioch with, with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what's been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves free or from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And so, Father, would you, would you help us today? So much grace. You give good gifts. You give what's undeserved. You give help. Father, for us to hear and understand and embrace that we cannot earn your attention, we cannot earn your favor, but Christ has earned it and Christ possesses it and Christ gives it with grace to those who have faith in him. And we praise you for this beautiful reality. So teach us as we go this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the heart of the finding of this Jerusalem council is this. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ, and it's by grace alone. So if you're taking notes, that's our first first concept this morning, is that's what salvation is all about. The heart of the council of Jerusalem is that faith is in Jesus Christ 
Faith in Jesus Christ alone is by grace alone. Jesus has revealed himself as the long-awaited Messiah. And we've already touched on it a little bit, and we've looked at it in weeks past, but all of the Old Testament teachings about who the Messiah would be, they've all been fulfilled in Jesus. There's, there's no way to misunderstand the significance of the person of Jesus Christ. He's everything. And he is the very grace of God to us. As he has arrived and as he has died and, and he had died for the, for the sins of mankind and risen the third day, he even said things to the existing people who were in the temple system. He said things like, well, if the temple, if the temple is destroyed, I will rebuild it. Saying it's not about the temple, the Old Testament law, it's about me. He said to the woman at the well, uh, you know what, there's going to come a time when those who worship me are the ones who worship me in spirit and in truth. So it's not about worshiping me in Jerusalem in the temple. It's about m- the temple points to me. In fact, we have all sorts of places throughout Scripture which talks about the fact that the ultimate tabernacle is in heaven. It's Jesus. And everything else is a copy of it. And so the Old Testament temple system was meant from the very beginning to be temporary. And now that Christ has come, it's over. We don't need the ceremonies and the ceremonial to make us one with, with Christ. And we're going to ask ourselves in just a minute, what, what, what is the Old Testament? What do we learn then from the ceremonial law? But here's what I want to emphasize first. Jesus and, and the entire council of Jerusalem is talking about just how gracious God is to give us himself in Jesus Christ. Look down at chapter 15, verse 4. Here's some grace because this whole council is just bathed in grace. When they came to Jerusalem, talking now about Paul and Barnabas, they were welcomed by the church. Now, let's just stop. I want you to think about Paul and Barnabas. Coming from mad conflict, coming from incredible relational tension, Having had, if you want to read further, you could jot a note to yourself in your notes. We are seeing in Acts 15 the front end result of the Jerusalem Council. This is the public. This is the newspaper version of what took place. But behind the scenes, there was some drag out arguments. And those are all found in Galatians 2, starting at verse 10. You can read how Paul, the Johnny come lately, the, the one who didn't know Jesus, Uh, until he appeared to him on the road. He went to Peter, the one who saw Jesus transfigured in all of his glory. And he said, Peter, you have been inconsistent in the way you're living your life because you had fellowship with Gentiles in their tables. And then when, uh, you know, you heard that this, this legalist party was in town, you backed off. And Paul opposed him to his faith. And you know what? Even in the church, there are these councils. There are these moments when we have to get together And say what we need to say to one another. So all of that to say that Paul and Barnabas were coming from a very contentious place and they were coming to Jerusalem. So let me ask you this. When you have a contention in you, when you have been fired up, when you have an axe to grind, an issue on your heart, what are your first words when you finally get to the people that can do something about it? Well, look at verse 4. Because Paul and Barnabas' first words... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. That's grace. They declared all that God had done with them. Is that how you 
start off conversations in 2020. Today is day 222 of 2020. I have started off conversations as if 2020 is somehow sovereign over life. Somehow 2020 has been bad. Somehow 2020 is in charge. Somehow 2020 has changed plans. 2020 has put me in a subservient place. And can I just tell you, in preparation for this these last couple weeks, I'm just repenting from that. 2020 is a glorious, beautiful, incredible year. And it's marked by in the midst of major unresolved unrest, God meets me with mercy every morning. It's free and it's rich and it's there. He's good to me and he's good to you. They declared all that God had done with them. Is it still unresolved? Yep. Uh, Are there still people troubling you? Yep. Are there still unpredictable outcomes yet to come? Yes. Is the pain inflicted by 2020 still real and deep and unanswerable? And you hate it? Yep. But is God's grace real? Now listen, some of us have gone through such pain in 2020 that we're not ready to talk about 2020 from a, from a position of God's grace yet. And can I just tell you, if that's you, it's, it's okay. That's why you're here this morning, is to be reminded that God's grace is real. We believe and teach and preach and think and reason with you while you can't quite get there yet. And one day you will be on the other side of this valley, this brokenness, this darkness, this unbelievable pain, and you will be on the other side and you will be rehearsing in your heart and mind the realities and the lessons you've learned and you'll know it and someone else won't be quite ready to hear it. They won't be quite ready. And they'll need to come and worship the Lord and get fresh mercy on a Sunday morning and have people like you around them believing and teaching and helping them. Acts 15.4 is all about major unresolved unrest and Paul and Barnabas starting off with, look what God has done and is doing in us in spite of how troubling the situation is. Acts 15.8, this counsel is continued to be bathed in grace. Acts 15.8, God said, God who knows the heart bore witness to them. And so I want to just stop and just say this. You know what? Here Peter is, a Jew, speaking about Gentiles, and can I just take all the mystery out of that? That's all of us in here. Unless you are a Jewish person, everyone else is Gentile. So uh, we are talking about race relations now, Jew and Gentile, black and white. We are talking about uh, uh, Hispanic and Hmong. We are talking about all race relations here, okay? So just keep that in mind that the Holy Spirit was not a gift intended for Jew only. It was intended for people of every race, every ethnicity, every background, every culture, at every time in all of history. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And there we get back to the word gift. It's a grace. He's, he gives us grace. God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. 
Here's an issue of race. The Holy Spirit is available to people of every race, not just you. So in this time in the world when we have these racial tensions, can we just, can we just address them briefly here this morning? That there are tensions between races. Here's what we all have in common. Every person who's ever lived in the world has been made in the image of God. Black and white and Gentile and Jew, every person is a member of the human race. That's beautiful. Here's another thing everyone has in common. We're all fallen. The thing we have most in common with all the people of the world made in God's image and broken in sin. We're rebels. The answer to our rebellion is not to try to get together and make nice with all the people of all the different races. Because if we do that, even if we accomplish that goal, what do we have is a group of people in the world fallen. Fallen short of the glory of God. And we have commonalities. Our commonality made in God's image. Yet falling short of his glory. And that's what we have in common. So doing good deeds and keeping the law is not going to impact that fallenness at all. But God gives grace. Do you see that? He gives grace to all people. Now, that's not saying all as in every, but all people who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation has access in the same way to forgiveness of sins through the Holy Spirit and through God's grace. So it doesn't matter what the, 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 the issue is in the culture or the race, the answer to the, the problem of fallenness is being made right with him by the Holy Spirit. And we get, again, all of that we're basing on 15.8, which says the Holy Spirit is available to both Jew and to Gentile. You say, well, tell me about the grace in the verse. Do you see what God's doing? God gives. God gives. That's grace. That's the definition of grace. God gives them The Holy Spirit. The Holy is a completely different, a completely other, a holy, pure, completely pure. And spirit, another word for spirit, is life. So, those who have faith in Jesus Christ are given a completely other kind of existence that supersedes race. So that our highest understanding of self, the highest understanding of Jew is no longer Jew, it's people of the Lord, people of God. The highest understanding of Gentile is no longer I'm a Gentile, it's not that I'm white or black or Hmong or anything else. The highest understanding of self is that I belong to God. That's the greatest identity any of us can have, and it comes to anybody from any race who responds to Jesus in faith and receives the Holy Spirit. God brings for himself then one people who see their greatest identity in this world, not as their race or their nationality or their culture, but their greatest identity in this world is Jesus is everything to me and he lives in me, and it's a 
gift of God, an act of grace that the Holy Spirit resides in me. And then we relate to one another in the church, not based upon culture only, but based upon the fact that those who have the Holy Spirit come together to worship him, and we have him in common. God gives his Holy Spirit to all the Jews and Gentiles who belong to him. The Spirit of God is holy, and he calls every person within the family of God to a holy relationship, an other relationship to him and to the world. And so now we're aimed at his glory. We live in his presence, and our skin color and cultural backgrounds take a a secondary role. In fact, the rest of this we're going to see in just a minute. The, The council says, hey, listen, put your cultural, the things you could do culturally, uh, don't put those forth first in such a way that it would ruin unity within the church. Restrict your freedoms to, in order to honor the people that you live with so it doesn't become a big problem in the church. And that's what we're called to do. We'll see that in just a minute. But the bottom line is I want you to see this. It's all about grace. It's all about gifts from God. It's all about who he is and what he's done. And so the holiness of God takes on life within us by his grace. Acts 15.11, we're continuing. This whole council just bathed in grace. Acts 15.11. But we believe, Peter's still continuing, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. If his initial statements were about the grace of God holding us through providential, through life, and the second statement is about how we are saved by the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in us, and this third statement in verse 11 is about a future hope that's also bathed in grace. How will we ultimately be glorified one day? Acts 15, 11. We will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will complete unity with all races of the world. We're all on level ground before God, coming into a saving relationship with him through faith. Your past, he's been there. Your present, right today. You woke up this morning, he's here, giving mercy and grace. Your future, how is this all going to work out? I think some of us look ahead to 2020 and we're, we're asking, you know, what about this and what about that? Government overreach or masks or no masks? What's school going to look like? Will the uh, next year's, you know, this happen or that happen? Those are all legitimate questions. And, and we do have tons of questions about an uncertain future. But here's something certain about your future. What will meet you there is the provision and the providence And the hand of the ever-gracious King of kings and Lord of lords, whom you know through faith and whom you have, because the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's not a scary future. That's not a, uh, it could be an inconvenient future. It could be a less than I thought it was going to be future, a different future, but it's not going to be a bad future. It's not going to be an exposed future. It's not going to be a dangerous future It's a future characterized by the grace of God. Can you just stop for a minute? Thank him. Write down in your notes, even right now, if this is day 222 of 2020, here's one example 
here's two examples of how God's grace and mercy have carried me so far. Now, I hesitate to do that because I have friends in this room who way beyond COVID and way beyond tensions on the streets of big cities have faced life-scarring, devastating, burden-carrying difficulty. And we're not making light of that. We are not saying if you just focus on the grace of God, your life gets easier. The reality is God's grace is dispensed most when the scar is deepest. And you may have the deepest scar from 2019 or 2020. A scar you didn't sign up for, you didn't see coming. And if you could talk to God right now, you don't see any way possible you would be satisfied by his response. And I'm not making light of your, your pain. I'm telling you, while you are going through this, I know his grace will be sufficient. I know he will dispense his grace to you most in your deepest place of hurt. He will give mercy when the day is darkest. He will provide. So that brings us to this question, what's the relationship? With all this grace in our lives, what is the relationship of the Gentile to the Mosaic law? Excuse me, I don't have COVID. <coughs> Sorry, okay. Um, what is the relationship of the Gentile Christ follower to the Mosaic law? We've answered that the last couple of weeks, and we want to just reiterate quickly that we do not need to convert to Judaism or observe the law of Moses to be saved. And so they respond to the issue here in writing in verse 28. And so we're at the heart of this uh, decision. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay unto you no greater burden. And when the Gentile believers heard that, they heard, we are not going to have to convert to Judaism. We're not going to have to get circumcised in order to become believers in Christ, to be saved. And they were rejoicing in their heart. Can I just say, as, as you put your finger on verse 28, maybe put another finger on verse 22. You see that? Then it seemed good to the apostles. Look at verse 25. It has seemed good to us. Look at verse 28, the one we're on right now. For it has seemed good. Now, that term, it seems good, is actually printed thousands of times in the archaeology of the ancient Near East. And, and it means this. It has been decreed. It has been decided by the king, the sovereign one. We have decided this is what we're going to do. And so when you read that in verse 28, it was decided by the Holy Spirit not to lay onto you any greater burden, that the church council has come together and is speaking with confidence that they are in step with the Holy Spirit when they deliver, when they deliver this conclusion here. And it's all, again, it, it, it's all of grace. So in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit not to lay any greater burden. 
So you are saved by grace. Now we go on, verse 29. So let's answer that question real quick. What is the relationship to the Gentile Christ follower to the Mosaic law? We are free to read and understand the meaning of it, and we should rejoice in what we can take from it because Jesus has fulfilled that law. We aren't trying to get away from the law. We don't hate the law. We love the law. Psalm 119 is still applicable to you and me. In your law, O Lord, I meditate day and night. It's it's more valuable to me than treasure, than gold or silver. I love to know what you say in, in the scriptures. And so the Old Testament is very valuable and it's fulfilled in Christ. It's simply not the It's not the foundation of your saving relationship with God. Christ is. So our relationship to the Old Testament law is to love it. To see the character and beauty of God in it. To see how the wisdom that God gives in us leads us away from trouble. And so they will put no greater burden on them. Does this mean that we Gentiles today have liberty to live however we want? Can I just tell you, that's a danger in the world today. You will hear people say, I believe there's a Jesus out there somewhere. I believe that all of the world was created by a God out there. Therefore, I can now live however I want. Because isn't that what liberty is? That's not what liberty is. And isn't it interesting that as we look back again at at verse 11, excuse me, verse 8, God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit. The completely other pure kind of living and life that the Gentiles or that our flesh knows nothing of. We don't want to have freedom to remain in sin. We want to have freedom to be removed from sin. We want to have freedom to say no to the old person and yes to the ways of God. And so here they have in verse 29, now here are the uh, stipulations. Seem good for the Holy Spirit, verse 28. To lay on you no greater burden, verse 29, other than this, these requirements, these compulsory things. To abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what's been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well, farewell. Okay, so he gives a whole new list of laws. Great. So now that I'm in grace, I should have a whole new list of of, of laws, right? And that's not at all the picture. Don't, Don't get that from the Council of Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever signed your kids up for Swimming lessons? That's fun to see him bobbing around out there. Uh, when you're with them, of course, you're keeping them safe and all. But, uh, but, but it's fun to see your kids, you know, take the swimming lessons. But I don't know if you've, have you ever had the YMCA or wherever you sign them up for, and it's, they got the 11 o'clock kind of, you know, swimming lesson thing. They call you at 10 o'clock and say, hey, just want you to know, today's, today's a unique day, but you're, uh, your nine-year-old coming in for swimming lessons today, they're going to get wet. So just plan accordingly. And you would hang up the phone and go, what am I? Of course, I know that you don't go swimming without getting wet. Maybe you've gotten in a, a situation where you were in the hospital and there was a health scare and, and it was difficult and the doc calls you in and maybe the doctor this time is saying, hey, listen, it's not as bad as we thought. Things are good, but here's something I want to remind you today because without this, you're going to have trouble. 
don't forget to breathe. Throughout the day, as you go about your business, you're going to need to be breathing each moment of the day. And you and I would say, well, that is a ridiculous thing to remind people of because it's compulsory. It's, it's a fact. Swimming requires wetness. And breathing, living requires breathing. And the Gentile believers would say, having the Holy Spirit requires that we have no other God at all. That is, we don't eat any meat that's been first sacrificed to other idols. We don't do that. We don't have a place in our heart where we have mostly God, but sometimes we honor other gods. Sometimes we do other things. Do you have any room in your heart? I had to ask myself this week, any room in my heart for other gods? For money? For karma? Ever use the terms karma? Break that out, because there's only one God, and it's not karma. Do you have room in your discussion for horoscopes, or for spirit guides, or for superstition, for luck? You have room in your guard for, in your heart for yin and yang, for, for music or media which, which uh, celebrates these things and glorifies these things because it's a fundamental requirement like swimming requires water, like living requires breathing. Christians who know Jesus Christ long to know God only and leave no room in our heart for any other God for any other purpose ever. And the people receiving this letter would say, that's not a greater burden. In fact, you're going to find out in just a minute, they throw a party. No greater burden. All it is is it's Holy Spirit living in us, and the natural results of the Holy Spirit living in us is we have got no other God. It's the first commandment. We're following after that, not as a matter of legalism, but a matter of reality, because uh, Paul would write a book later, excuse me, James would write a book later, what kind of faith saves? Living faith kind of faith that we put into action. Does this mean that Gentile believers can live however they want? It does not. You see the, the fourth thing on their list here, and we're going to cover that briefly. Verse 29. We uh, abstain from that which has been sacrificed to idols. And then there's two restrictions that, that uh, indicate limits that the Gentiles should put on them place to preserve unity in the fellowship when there's other Jews present. And those two limitations are uh, from blood and from what's been strangled. So you see what was happening was that uh, freedom was creating tensions within the body of believers. And so what what the Council of Jerusalem is saying, don't let your freedoms create needless divisions within the church, so limit yourself. And that's true of every, every culture needs to limit ourselves so that we can create the divisions that we so long not to have. But then the last one, to abstain from sexual immorality. Guys, it's not a burden. That's what they say, no greater burden. It's not a burden for the people of God to hear this beautiful, life-giving, grace-saturated, essential, water is wet, lungs fill up with air, that produces life, kind of directive from the council at Jerusalem. It's life-giving. This is true for every people of every race and every culture and background who've experienced the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, no sexual sin should characterize the people of God. You can't live with it. It's not greater burden for us to hear no fornication. 
No premarital sex. It's not a greater burden for us to hear a single person, no hint of sexual sin. That's not a greater burden. That's like swimming's wet. Life is breathing. That, that's, of course, it's a natural reality. It's not a greater burden to hear that God designed marriage for one man and one woman, and sex is to be enjoyed in that context, one man and one woman only. No sexual sin. That's not a greater burden. That's freedom. Because we're not called to be free in the sense that we can do what we want. We're called to be free in the sense that we can choose not to sin and glorify God. It's not a greater burden for us to hear in our marriages, no adultery. No adultery at all. Can't do it. It's not a sin for us to hear, no homosexual acts. That's, that's not a greater burden. That's compulsory. So here we are, and we hear this counsel, and they say no greater burden than grace, and grace requires these kinds of changes because if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you live a holy, other, pure kind of life in Jesus Christ and in community with one another. The Gentiles rejoiced when they heard this. And can I just take one little parenthesis before we move on? If you're here today, married or unmarried, old or young, and your life has been characterized by sexual sin and you are fighting it, the church is here to help you fight it. Put it to death. Take drastic measures to overcome. If you're here today and you're saying, uh, man, I'm really looking for this whole liberty thing, you know, this whole free grace thing, this whole, like, I can keep living how I want to and just keep asking for forgiveness thing. I'm just going to keep going with that. Can I just tell you, that would make me wonder if the holy, completely other, completely pure from God spirit Life, if the other life from God is living in me, if I'm looking to say I want to live how I want, because that's not grace. Grace is conformity to the person of God. If you're struggling, the church is not here to condemn you. The church is here to help you and to love you and to show you examples of places where we've seen victory, where there's hope, You can take drastic measures to be freed from the sin. Well, we've already addressed the other issues in that we want to emphasize the fact that we have fellowship with one another and we want to make sure that our freedom in Christ does not create division in the church. We don't want to be about that at all. And so uh, that is the, uh, the, the, the final decision of the council of Jerusalem. It's all about grace, and that grace is a life in the Holy Spirit that completely transforms us, and it's no greater burden to walk in, under these things, and it will bring unity. So a couple things I want to say as we're um, moving on from here. Here's some principles for unity within the church. They come from a little bit earlier. We've kind of gone down to the middle or the heart of the, of the section here, and now we're going to go back up and really quickly walk through some things we learned. Verse 22 and verse 23. Then it seemed good to the apostles, remember what that means, they declared with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas and Bersabbas and Silas, leading men of the brothers. And the first thing I want to say here is inclusion within the people of God is not based on race anymore at all. It's based on this reality 
Have you come to Jesus Christ by faith alone? Have you received the grace that comes? And if so, you are invited to be a part, a full part, a full member of the people of God. You're welcome here. You're welcome. It's by grace. Inclusion is by grace. Look at verse 24, because there's also an exclusion. Some people are excluded. It's not based on race. It's based on what they teach and believe about Jesus. Can I just tell you that there's a narrow road that leads to, to God and in is Christ, and there is a wide road, and that seems to communicate to me that there are a lot of people, regardless of race, who are not in Christ Jesus. We aren't careful with them because of race. We're careful with them because of what they believe about the Holy Spirit and about Jesus Christ. Okay? So, with that said, uh, there's exclusion that's based upon adding to or subtracting from the Word of God. That's found in verse 24. It's a Christian value to reject the teaching of people who do not teach the Word well and appropriately. It is a Christian. So here's the thing. We live in a Facebook world where anybody can write something online and place it out there and all of us are out there and somebody posts it and you read it and suddenly you're saying, oh, that sounds good. And can I just tell you, that's what started the controversy in Antioch. It sounded good. That's what started the theological debate. That's what brought disunity in the church. Somebody on Facebook getting out there and saying, it sounds good. It is a Christian directive and impulse and, and uh, requirement to reject teaching that does not glorify Jesus Christ and is not bound in grace. And so it's really important that you and I are reading everything carefully and we are very careful about who we trust and who we, we read and how we read it because exclusion is a Christian principle. Christian value. Study the word. Let the grace of the Holy Spirit provide for you wisdom and discernment. You know what signs of the ends of the time will be? People will rise up from within the church and lead almost the elect astray. Don't be surprised. When you read that book and you pass it and it's on the book, book store, bookshelf at a Christian bookstore and you look at that and once you open it, you realize this is not identifying Jesus Christ. This is not at all a Christian perspective. This does not glorify the grace of God. Be very careful. Be very careful. We want to help you with that, by the way. And if you have questions about uh, this week, I had somebody text me and say, hey, what do you think about this this theological thing, it's, it's happening out there. And we were able to dialogue back and forth and it sounds good and it comes from Christian seminaries and it comes from people that you would maybe trust, but there is a, a danger to it as well. And so it's really crucial that we are interacting with one another to hold each other up and to encourage each other. Third, principles of unity in the church, collaboration. People who have the Holy Spirit, I need to listen to them. I need to listen to younger people who have the Holy Spirit, older people that have the Holy Spirit, uh, 
black people, Hmong people, Jewish people, Gentile people, all of the people who have the Holy Spirit, we learn from them and we learn together. We collaborate. And you can see that in verses 25 and 26. They sent all sorts of people back to Antioch with different backgrounds to deliver the message. They collaborated together. What a joy it is to not be the final voice. You know who the final voice is? Holy Spirit. The Word of God. And the rest of us are grappling with it and learning from it and living it out and loving it and struggling and wondering. And that puts us all in a position. I'm humbled before the Word. Humbled before the Word. The last principle of the unity in the church today. Verse 27 is a principle of sending. Uh, the word send is used seven times in this, these tw- 12 verses. It's used all over the place. Send, 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 send. Do you know that when you and I are committed to be sent, that there will be a lot less trouble and disunity in the church because we will all be working so hard on reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ that we will not have any time or energy to fight with each other over matters that, that just don't matter. You're sent. Sent means this. You are commissioned to bring a specific message to specific people. I want you to imagine for a minute, Paul and Barnabas come to the church at Jerusalem and they've been sent on this mission to bring this message to the people in Jerusalem. And they're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, work on some other stuff for a while. And they can, all the millions of ways you and I can get distracted with our life. And listen, all of us have to do good work. We all have to uh, raise families. We all have to cut the grass. Okay? But the primary responsibility of every Christian from this point that we're reading to today is you are ones sent. You are commissioned with a specific message to the nations to tell them that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone and it's by grace alone and we can have a completely other holy kind of living life, a completely other kind of life as we walk with him, and that's how you're sent out of this place today. In a few minutes, you're going to be sent out. What am I supposed to do this? What does it mean to be a Christian this week? You're sent out with a specific message to deliver to your neighbor, who is everyone, as you go. Salvation's found in Jesus Christ. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. My whole life's about that. Your whole life's about that. We're sent. And if there will be unity in the church as we are sent out of this place together. Conclusion. Here's what I hope comes from this today. Number one, there's just two. We are devoted to Christ alone. It says here to abstain meat that's been offered to idols. Uh, The way that that word reads in the Greek, avoid stuff that's been devoted to other gods. Do do you see here in verse uh, uh, 26, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what risk their lives mean? Devoted. Men who have completely 
devoted their lives to Jesus Christ are being sent. That's you. Guys, be devoted to him, and and I'm working this out in my own heart. Be devoted only and fully to him. Conclusion number two. What what else should come from this? A great joy and strength. Do Do you see that in verse 30 through 35? When they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. So what is the result of them saying to the the Gentile people, you don't have to become Jewish, just enjoy the grace that you have in Jesus Christ. Go back to the grace. Embrace the grace. Here's the result. Verse 31. When they read it, they rejoiced. Your life isn't characterized. 2020 is not characterized by COVID, quarantine, racial tension, financial trouble, and the problems that ensue because of it. As you leave this place today, your 2020 is characterized by the grace of God that's been available to you every morning. Go with joy. Let the first words out of your mouth at lunch today not be about, yeah, we had to wear masks at church. I'm getting, that's getting old. It is getting old. I agree. And I can stand up here without a mask on. And it's still old. But that's not going to steal my joy today. It's not going to steal your joy today. Because there is a joy and then a strength that comes from the joy as we embrace these realities. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, the council of Jerusalem is just bathed in grace. As we communicate with one another, it's not about keeping law. It's not about more uh, uh, stipulations. It's not about more requirements. It's about the Holy Spirit living in us by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. And we praise you for it. Help us walk in that freedom. Not a freedom to sin, a freedom from sin. And we're so stoked and excited that we belong to you. May each of us walk out of this room today on mission, on purpose, thinking through the fact that we are now sent by Christ and the church with a specific message about Jesus that can bring hope and peace and help because it's all about what we've received from God. All your grace is rich and free. Dismiss us with your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.